Catholic social teaching. It's been expounded upon by Pope Leo XIII and Pope uh, John Paul II and by Pope Francis. But it goes way back to the Gospels and Jesus' own words and teachings. So today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano is going to walk us through the principles of Catholic social teaching. So keep your radio right here on 1350 AM or stay dialed in on your phone on the Veritas mobile app. The app is really always a great option since you can listen to the live broadcasts, you can grab episodes of shows that you missed, you can listen to podcasts. Download the app on your phone at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. It's that time of year again, and Foundations in Faith is now accepting applications for Youth in Action grants. The program will fund three diocesan initiatives that are by youth and for youth for up to $5,000. To be eligible, applicants must be members of a Catholic high school, a parish high school-aged youth group, or a Catholic young adult group. Applications must also emphasize evangelization, collaboration, or justice and equity for historically underserved populations in their proposed programs. Find out more on the Foundations of Faith website. Applications are now live there on the site and they'll close on November 19th at midnight. To learn more or to apply, visit foundationsinfaith.org and click on Youth in Action Grants at the top of the page. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Hey, Steve, good morning, my friend. Excellency, yeah. good morning, great to see you. What's the good word? Well. Anything? Huh? A lot, always. Life, <laughs> faith. Oh, life is not dull, God help us, <laughs> really. Lord, have mercy on us. <laughs> uh, we have... Um, I mean, so much going on uh, in the world, in the church, in our diocese. Um, but I'm really intrigued by today's topic, Excellency, because, mm -hmm. you know, whenever you suggest a topic to me, I always, I feel like, for the most part, I know something about it. And last week you said, next week, let's talk about the seven principles of Catholic social teaching. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait, mm -hmm. there are seven principles of ca Catholic social teaching? <laughs> yes, so I'm very excited today to learn about this. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and I'm happy to. I had the occasion, I guess it was a week and a half ago, to um, to go to Fordham to give a talk with uh, a very distinguished person who basically was the key part of the, of the morning, which is Sir Angus Deaton, who is the 2015 Nobel Prize laureate winner in economics. Oh, wow. Who's taught at Princeton for many, many years. And the title of the whole morning was The Health of Nations, and it was a discussion of Pope Francis's call of inclusion. And what animates that? Like, there's a deeper vision there that I think it would be worthwhile for us to spend some time for, for many reasons, not least of which we've often spoken about the need to engage young people and young adults in the life of the church. And when we continue to hear the failings 
of the church and its members, um, such as that horrible, awful report that came out of France. Yes. With hundreds of thousands of children over 70 plus years being abused in some way. It's, you know, young people hear that and are so discouraged and turn away. So what's what's the entree? What's, what is going to captivate them to give us a second look, right? And that's our moral obligation. And so I think it is the social teachings of the church. And, and in many ways, I think Pope Francis is where he is because the Holy Spirit is guiding us to not change but complement what the church teaches to bring to the forefront a portion of the church's teaching that's always been held somewhat in the background. Yeah. Right, right. And for this particular reason, I think. And quite frankly, I mean, if you look at society, it's just um, the trends are very disturbing, extremely disturbing. And since change now has become a part of ordinary life and everyone is is prepared for change than to re-engage social teachings of the church and allow them to speak to the practical and the, the lived experience of people, economies, societies. And if it calls for change, I think people may be more open to accept that change, right? I mean, I'll give you one example of what I mean. Um, I was stunned, stunned. And I think I'm fairly well, like, versed in this. I was stunned to listen to this. To hear this, um, the gentleman I referred to, Professor Deaton, he has done extensive analysis, right, uh, on on just about every every aspect of social and economic life, and he gave he p- p- presented a slide which was just as I said it was stunning, and in 1990 in 1990 in the United States when you look at the aggregate wealth of the United States which means liquid wealth, investments, stocks, bonds, real estate, cars, all fixed assets, everything. That wealth was equally divided between those who had a a college degree or higher and those who have a high school degree or less. In 2020, so in 30 years, that proportion has shifted to two-thirds, one-third. That is, two-thirds of the wealth of the country is in the hands of those with college degrees or higher, and one-third in the hands of those with associate degrees or less. We're talking tens and tens and tens and tens of trillions of dollars that have changed hands. Then you look at the political atmosphere and you see the anger that people have and the extreme positions some are taking because that is the first sign of desperation. That if that trend does not change, we are in for a major societal upheaval. And it has happened before. And the church teaches basic principles that should prevent that from happening in the first place. (laughs) Right? So... You know, Pope Francis has not been a stranger to criticism and to controversy on many different levels. But I honestly believe that he is 
been given the Petrine ministry in this moment in the world's life because he is the right voice at the right time to bring this portion of the church's belief and teaching to the fore so that there could be real and examination of conscience. Right? So we've seen the prophetic acts of the Pope, right? I mean, he... Um, he installed showers in the rotunda of St. Peter's for the homeless. He had a birthday breakfast with the homeless. If you remember a few years ago, he went to Lampedusa to, uh, and often goes back to, to speak about the plights of immigrants. He established the Office of Papal Charities. But he did more than that. He's highlighted basic themes. He's our Holy Father for nine years. So everything you look at, his encyclicals, what is he talking about? He's talking about the dignity of every human being from unborn to natural death. And he particularly emphasizes the marginalized, which we're going to talk about in a second. He talks about the common good, that there has to be a reestablishment of a common good and the proper relationship that should have to the individual person whose dignity is not given to the person by the state. It's not given by contract. It's not given by concession. It's given by God, period. <laughs> okay? And non-negotiable. Whether they're unborn, rich, poor, or anything in between. And then he talks about this vision of Fratelli Tutti, his latest encyclical, about seeing a world where the common good expands throughout all of humanity, right? That the boundaries exist, and he's not advocating that they be eliminated, but that those boundaries also not be not become artificial barriers for exchange of ideas, exchange of commerce, exchange of cultures, and the free movement of people, right? Always in a legal way, but the free movement of people as well. And if I may just add two other things. If you read Pope Francis's writings very carefully, he emphasizes the importance of the family as the building block for what he wants to see as the vision of the world engaging Catholic social, the local community. You've heard me talk about my community, my neighborhood growing up, I mean, more times than perhaps I should. But that's the insight, that's Catholic insight, all right? It's those basic building blocks, because that's the whole question of subsidiarity. And then he speaks about ecology only because you can't survive if the environment is destroyed. So this is logical. Yeah. St. Francis said that way before there was a Pope Francis. <laughs> so, so that's really where I think we have a golden opportunity for us to become leaven of change in the world, to serve Christ better in the gospel, to engage young adults with this message, to get them excited about the church and what the church really stands for. And quite frankly, to make sure that when we stand in judgment before the Lord, the Lord's going to say, well, what did you do about this? Yeah. What did you do about this? Right? So that's really the, the scheme. So if I were to ask you, I'm going to ask you, put you on the spot. Uh-oh. All, right. All right. What is the social gospel? What is Catholic social, apart from the principles, like what is it? The basic. How would you even define it? Yeah, just the basic reality. What is it? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I I guess the first thing that pops into my mind is the the two great commandments. You know, to love God with all your heart, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Excellent, excellent. It's the gospel mandate of charity, right? Right. Love. Absolutely. However, Catholic social teaching 
provides the guardrails so that you can live that mandate in this particular time in the church's life, whatever that time happens to be. It's the practical application of that mandate in the complex, complicated, and confusing world you and I may happen to live in, whether it's the 14th century, the 18th century, or the 27th century. Because we all believe we have to do that. The question is, how do you do that? Does Mm. that make sense? Yes, yes. Right. And in Catholic social teaching, the the Pope that is traditionally ascribed to be the father of Catholic social teaching, who began Catholic social teaching as an articulated body, was Leo XIII in 1891, right, with his encyclical Rerum Novarum, where he spoke about the rights of workers, and right? And it's, and it's it's a landmark document. But the truth is... The roots of Catholic social teaching are in the Lord Jesus. It is in the gospel. And the church has, from apostolic times, been trying to give guidance on how, on how you can apply the mandate that you said so beautifully to a time when the church was persecuted, lived in the Roman Empire, lived through feudalism, industrialization, modernization, politics, war, the rise of technology, and globalization. Every age has its own set of factors. The church has, from from the Lord himself and the apostles, been trying to to give guidance to, to, um, to, to flesh and blood Catholic Christians to live that mandate as best they can in the world in which they live. So at the heart of Catholic social teaching is there are three things. There is the gospel mandate. There is the right use of reason, all right, because you have to discern, reflect, deliberate, right? And there are the social sciences, which can be of tremendous help. Right? In the understanding of how economies work, how the, the effect of technology. So this th- the font, the gospel is the key, and these other two help to make the application. Right? So the fact that they're married, what's married? The gospel and the use of reason, the natural law and the use of sciences, which are the, the consequence of the use of reason, right? is not new. Right? We've talked about a, a grace building on nature. St. James says, if your faith is dead, if you have no works, right? Right. It's, there's nothing new about that. Yes. Right? But now this is where, as I pointed out in Fordham, I'm going to point out here today, and we can pause for a second before we go into the details. There are these principles, and the number is not that important, to be honest. There are three fundamental principles we can't forget. Right. There are three, which we'll go through. But there's two things we have to keep in mind. The first is that you need all of them. You can't pick one and forget two, or pick two and forget one, or pick three and forget four. Because in some way, shape, or form, they kind of fill in the pictures like a mosaic. You can't have a mosaic that has seven pieces and only have three and think you're finished. Each piece is beautiful, but you don't get the full picture, right? So they can't be picking and choosing. So people say, well, I don't particularly feel comfortable with that. Well, 
then my response is, well, that's that's tough because that's what the Lord taught, taught us. It just you got to deal with it, right? <laughs> you got to put it all together. <laughs> you got to put it all together, all right? And there's another piece to, and they, and in that sense, they are correcting of one another, right? They're guardrails to each other and for us. And the second is, when you actually get into the practical details, there can be legitimate disagreement among believers on how to apply them. Okay. okay, precisely because the world is getting more complicated and complex. And part of what, what pains me tremendously is that at the same time the world's getting more complicated, we're losing the ability to dialogue. And yeah. dialogue not around, not around um, what you and I may think is the answer, but to dialogue around the basic principles of the gospel. See, they are the referee, not what you and I think. We've, we're, we're losing that ability. We have to regain that ability so that there may be an issue that you and I may have different approaches respecting each other, but we understand why we're choosing those approaches. Make sense? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's missing in a lot of places. Yeah, definitely. Right. Okay. So, before we do the principles, there's one other insight we have to talk about. It will take us to the break, I think. Then afterwards, we'll do the three principles. Right. I believe, looking at how Pope Francis is teaching us these basic fundamental principles of Catholic social teaching, that there is an insight, one fundamental insight that animates what he's saying. And all of his encyclicals and writings are highlighting different, putting like a different color light on the basic mystery that he's calling us back to. It's a mystery, not because we can't explain it. It's a mystery because you only understand it when you live it. It's like love. You could read about love, but you don't really understand love until you love, right? Same thing here. And what is the mystery? It is the mystery of communion. Now, I am not speaking of communion as in holy communion, although that is a consequence of the more fundamental ecclesial communion and communion among humanity. That is the fundamental insight. Because when we as a Christian speak of communion, we recognize two things. That its basic author is God because he created us in his image and likeness which we all share. So there's a commonality among us that we are all built to be the receivers of grace. And those who have come to believe have an even deeper communion that the Holy Spirit creates, which is divine gift. So in Fratelli Tutti, I'm paraphrasing, the Pope says, there are no others, there are no quote-unquote them. He says there's only an us, which has God at the heart of it. Now, if you think about that, that is 
That is, and, more, and it's at the basis of our faith, we don't often spend time taking a step back and reflecting on what that really means. I mean, in the scriptures, you remember in the Old Testament, God the Father spoke of a covenant. He offered many. And, and the, 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 the God's chosen people failed in their sinfulness as we have failed in our sinfulness. But God doesn't walk away because his establishment of that, that unity with us is unbreakable. And then for Christians, that took flesh in Jesus Christ. You know? So that when the Lord died, he died for all people who are willing to accept him because the bond that we're made in the image and likeness of God, he has come to fulfill that image and likeness so that we can, like St. Athanasius says, we can become like God. Everybody. Everybody. So when you think of it in those terms, the communion that we form is not transactional. And everything the Pope is asking of us by applying the Catholic social teachings to the contemporary world is not something that's a plan of action. It should be a natural expression of who we are. Yes. Mm -hmm. We should live in no other way precisely because of who we are. Right? The communion formed in humanity that we share in God's divine image and likeness and the communion we form in faith, which makes us truly brothers and sisters adopted to the one father whose only son by nature is Jesus Christ. you imagine if the world actually lived that way? Could you imagine? Can you imagine? And we've talked about fraternal love and, and we've talked about friendship. We've talked about that many times, my friends. But, but in this schema, in this basic insight, friendship, the, the love of friendship just becomes something so sublime that two-thirds, and I'm being generous, of everything we hear on the news would disappear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost um, heartbreaking, though, Excellency, because the world is broken and full of sin. And so we couldn't really fully ever live like this as a world, right? But, but we can as individual Catholics, which will start to change parts of the world. I don't know if I'm, I'm just, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's, it's, I, I, I think the world looks at us and says, I'll take you seriously when you take yourself seriously. You want to tell us that we have this great communion and that therefore the dignity of the human person and the respect for the local community and the solidarity you form in the human family will take it seriously when you act that way yourselves. And the scandal of the division in Christianity that's a thousand years old 
and the scandal of how believers treat each other, whether it's in the pews or in the parking lot or uh, in social media or in any other sphere of life, yeah, we're not going to convert the world until we get the message straight. Yeah. But going back to what you said earlier, when young people look at us and they're like, why should I continue to be a part of the church? That's exactly what they're saying too, isn't it? So right. we need what they're to saying is, when you, walk the to- when you walk the talk, I'll listen. Yes, exactly. Yep. Right. And, and I don't mean to be judgmental. And I don't mean to be like, you know, uh, to, to be the depressive force here today. But I do think part of the opposition Pope Francis has received is the intuition people are coming to that if we really took seriously what he's asking, we have to change. A lot has to change. And it has nothing to do, nothing to do with faith and morals. Nothing to do with faith and morals. Nothing. It has everything to do with our behavior amongst ourselves and in the common square, the public square, the economic square, the social square. And you know what? One of the things we have to really reflect on, if what I just said before about uh, 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 Sir Angus Deaton and his analysis is a piece of his analysis, how many people in that two-thirds bucket now are going to voluntarily change Hmm. when the structure is that it benefits them more and more? There are saints everywhere. But do you see the great challenge before us? That sort of societal rebalancing and change has always come through violent means. But should we not have learned our lesson all these centuries and do it a different way? Let Christ be the leaven to do it rather than pitchforks? Yeah. Rather than pitchforks? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm certainly, I mean, guilty as charged. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, part of the problem. Uh, I have and my so share, I. fair share. I, I want to. I don't want to kick a hornet's nest, but I do want to ask one other quick question, Excellency, Shoot. because Shoot. we do live in a society that's so politicized, and words have been co-opted by certain groups mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we, when you talk about Catholic social teaching, though, this is different, right, from political. Um, uh, what's the, social justice? Social uh, justice is. Remember, we talked about justice last week. Mm-hmm. So, social justice is um, the application of the principle of justice, giving God His due and giving your neighbor His due on a societal level. Right. Right. And it is a consequence of Catholic social teaching. It is the administration of justice to all who form this communion in God and Christ, in the, Lord, in the Father and in the Son through the Holy Spirit. Remember, God is a communion. So all of Christ, the mystery of Christian life is to enter into the life of God. Yes. That's really what it is, right? It's to become love yes. in Him. Right, to boil it down. But two other things before we break. So we hear Pope Francis say over and over and over and over again about mercy, mercy, mercy. But that's exactly the consequence of living communion. Hmm. Okay? Just like we had spoken about a few episodes ago where the creed among the soldiers is you leave no soldier behind. 
because they form a communion. So communion among all God's children, you leave nobody behind. That's mercy. Awesome. And the second, mm-hmm. he talks about synodality, and people are so frightened, some people, about what synodality means. It's an exercise of communion. It's not, as we spoke about, it's not decision-making. It's reflecting on who we are and asking the Holy Spirit to give us the signs, the inspirations, and through discernment, help us to deepen to understand who we are, not change who we are, but to deepen who we are. Awesome. Okay, so we'll dive uh, into the actual principles when we come back from the break. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano, and we will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We are talking with the bishop about the principles of Catholic social teaching. And uh, Excellency, you just laid out a great overview and introduction for us, mm-hmm, for me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to learn. And uh, and now um, uh, we're gonna dive into the actual, actual principles. Right, right. So, St. John Paul II, in Ecclesia in America, Article 55, says this, her, that is the church's Moral vision in this area of what we're talking about rests on three, a threefold cornerstone. The three fundamental principles human dignity, solidarity, and subsidiarity. So we're going to take each of them very briefly. Okay. The first is the dignity and value of the human person. I've already spoken a little bit about that. We know that. And false choices, you know, I detest. This idea of, of the dignity of human life is just the unborn 
or just the marginalized is a false choice. It is both, by definition, both. And to be faithful to Christ, it is both. And Francis is emphasizing the marginalized because oftentimes they are not spoken of in the same way. As if once you are born, then you fend for yourself. But the truth is, you do fend for yourself. But the inherent dignity that you have as a human being, as a son or daughter of God, should never be violated by a neighbor or by society. Never. So the Pope has made it clear that it's all, it's everyone, including the unborn. Because he recently said abortion is murder, which is exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. He called Clearly. abortionists hitmen. Right. Yeah. Sorry. But now, but he's emphasized the marginalized because when you apply the principles of the, uh, like this principle of the dignity of the human person, then there's so many and a growing number who are being left behind, whose dignity is being threatened. You know, the physically poor, migrants, who apart from the way they come to different countries. The truth is that where they are leaving, where they're escaping, the system is so abhorrent that they have, they believe they have no choice to raise their children because there is no hope to raise their children. And you have children. And if we were in the reverse situation, desperation calls sometimes for desperate decisions. But the question is, no one should be in that position to face such desperation. The issue is not to welcome everyone in the United States. The issue is why do these poor people feel compelled to leave their home when their home should be their home? Yeah. Right? And, and how is society on the global level creating structures that prevent those people, whoever they may be, from realizing their human dignity in their own home, in their own culture? Right? And then he talks about the elderly, the uneducated, the refugee, and those who are now going to begin to suffer from climate change, and to the extent that they may be fueling the degradation of our environment. And people may disagree what the science is there or is not there. I mean, I think the science is clear that it is there, but ask all those people whose houses burned to the ground in California. their insurance is not going to cover all their costs. Suddenly now, they went from the top 10% maybe to the bottom 50%. So it's all over. And therefore, the, the Pope says that when you look at the dignity as the fundamental principle, then Christians need to speak to governments, um, uh, social structures, and say, where do you guarantee concretely that every human person's dignity and value is respected. So, for example, he challenges governments to say, um, where is the opportunity for meaningful work for everyone? Where is the opportunity to have basic health care? Where is the opportunity for basic education? And again, there's many ways to do it. So you don't get into the details, right? But the goal should be the same regardless of how you do it. And we as Christians can, can debate in the public square, how do you do it? And there's legitimate disagreements. But that, that we should all agree that that's the goal is exactly what social teaching teaches us, right? And then he goes into attitudes. 
and into the attitudes have to be rooted out. So, for example, he speaks of the idolatry of money, right? Where the person is no longer seen as a, a, a dignified individual in the image and likeness of God, but as a, as a means of consumption, right? And at the top of the list, we've spoken about our young people being in that situation. It's terrible because it feeds anxiety and depression and this anzia, as my mother would say, this, this uncomfortability in their own skin because they, they're told that's the only way you're gonna have dignity is the things you have and own and wear and buy, which is crazy. Crazy. Or he speaks of a neoliberal faith that believes that the marketplace alone can solve all the problems. And I will add to that, and the flip side, the belief that government can solve all the problems when neither can solve all the problems. Yes. <laughs> right? Right. Yep. Okay. And then in Amoris Laetitiae, for all of the controversy that it created with that one footnote about whether or not divorce, you know, could have a path to remittance to Holy Communion or the rest of it, which my reading of that was not saying that, but I could be, you know, but that's neither here nor there for our conversation today. But the fact that the family and the married couple has to be at the center of the pastoral care of the church is absolutely indisputable. Yes. Because where does a child learn their human dignity? Is from their parents, from their siblings, from the environment that they're raised in. So if the Pope has critique, he has critique for societal structures, governments, and every single one of us, perhaps including himself on our attitudes. If we really want to say, we believe that God sent his divine son, the eternal word, to take a human life because God does not embrace junk. And that every human life is beyond price. What are, what, what are we going to do about making that a reality? So, right? Yes. Thoughts? Steve? No, Reactions? I mean, yeah, I, it, it, I, he summed it up uh in just the, it's such a um, a vivid f uh, image where he says it's the throwaway culture, including people. We just throw them away. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, human. Uh, <laughs> if you're Catholic, you can't argue with the you know the inviolable human dignity of the person. No, <laughs> my gosh, the, but but you can't, <laughs> right? It be, you can't because that 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 that's the mystery of faith. Every person is offered the gift of salvation if he or she is willing to accept it. So if Christ died, but but then who are we? I maybe mean, it just boggles my mind when you think about it, <laughs> and people justifying it even boggles my mind even more. <laughs> yeah. So 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 anyway, so that's the first principle. Yes. Mm -hmm. Second one, solidarity. We've spoken about that already, the whole idea of a communion. But this is what I want our listeners, you and I, to reflect on. What is the common good? What is the common good? What is the good that everyone needs to embrace, to allow society to prosper and to be faithful to what the gospel is asking? while allowing diversity, 
right? Everything we talked about. What is that common good? Sadly, I'm not sure we could articulate it in the United States anymore. Hmm. And without that, we cannot fulfill this second principle. Right? I'll give you examples of what I mean. The Holy Father in Fratelli Tutti, in Article 176, he speaks of principle, the principles of common good should be long-term in, in view. Because we could all think that the common good is to do something where there's immediate gain for everyone and then do long-term damage. Mm. Now, not to get political, but in a country where we are accumulating debt at an enormous rate, right? The question is, have we given thought to the consequences of that for 20, 30, 40 years from now? Because that's the common good. It's not just the immediate, it's the long-term. And I don't have an answer to that question. I'm not an economist, but the truth of the matter is, it's a Christian obligation to ask the question. <laughs> because I'll be dead when your children or I are older and are having children and see their children's children, please God, you'll be alive. I'll be long dead. My decisions now affect their common good or how they can live their life. That's my obligation as a Christian to ask that question. Yeah. How many people ask that question? <laughs> yeah. Nobody thinks about the long term anymore anyway. So. Right. right. Or the other piece to the puzzle, if I may, a second one is creating obstacles to human solidarity. So this is where I'm going to call out social media. Because social media is one of the most lucrative businesses ever created in human history. That whole digital continent, we've talked about. But who's actually asking the question, what, is, what are the effects of living this way, acting this way, for the long-term common good? Are we creating such a sense of society that we can never again, for the foreseeable future, talk about what binds us together in unity, that there is a commonality of good that we have to talk about? And if we're not doing that, why are we allowing this to continue? Only because it makes money? Is that good enough? I don't think so, right? And, of course, the other one is the environment. And, of course, again, there's legitimate disagreement here. But just on principle, if we all agreed that there are certain things going on that are causing huge dislocation in the environment that will have an effect on nothing else but the health of our children and our grandchildren, why? in the name of goodness, if we're following the mandates of the gospel and this belief of the solidarity of all human beings, why would we not raise this question for legitimate, intelligent discussion, debate, and decision? Right? Yes. And it seems to me that for all the critique, the Holy Father is asking the church to be one of the voices to lead that conversation because it seems, and forgive me, most societal organizations and most political organizations seem to be too hampered to do it themselves. Yeah. Right? 
of all the principles, this is the one that really worries me the most. Because we have become such a society and culture that wants immediate effect, that we're not looking at the long-term consequences of the things we're doing. And of course, the last principle is subsidiarity. And subsidiarity basically is the notion that a larger organization should not do what a smaller organization should do. And that's a fundamental insight about the value of family and how family needs to be protected and a family needs to have its ability to make decisions for its own good that someone else does not dictate to. So the state has a role to play, but part of the role to play in all of our lives is to protect our families to be families, and in the Christian term, to become, give the families the ability to live their Christian faith without obstacle. And that is something I think in the end, again, as Christians, we need to give thought to. But even something as sacrosanct as the United States of private property. Private property is not an absolute right. Because if it was truly an absolute right and had truly, uh, what I'm going to say, an infinite value to it, then we could take it with us when we die, but we can't. So it has a basic value and has to be respected but at some point, things such as taxation has, have, have been created to ensure that the first principle we talked about is not violated because a person may have too much of one to the detriment of the other. And again, you could have legitimate disagreement on how to do that, but Christians with respect, respecting each other's dignity would be able to have that conversation with people of goodwill to try to find the path forward. So within that, we talk about the rights of families and the local community, and the rights of workers, all those subsidiary principles that, and, but the three principles are the ones that I think are the easiest to remember and the ones that kind of frame everything else. Now, having said all that, what's your reaction? Where do we go from here? Yeah, I'm, my, my initial reaction, and I was just jotting uh, some things down as, as you were talking, Excellency, because it feels like these three things, they really build on each other in a very logical way. Mm-hmm. So you, you start mm-hmm. by accepting the dignity of each human person, and then from there you should want to build conditions in society that would enable human flourishing, and that mm-hmm. responsibility and authority begins with the building block of society, which is the family. So that's the subsidiarity that you said. So it, it all kind of just, it makes sense. That's the beauty of Catholic faith. Catholic faith, when you see it in its entirety, is beautiful because it fits, it makes sense. And as I said many times already today, there could be legitimate disagreements on how you effect it but there should be no disagreement on the principles that we should be talking about. Mm, yeah. Right. So, uh, I, so then, um, if we start at the local level, the very lo- you know the localist level, and then move outward, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
what are some guiding uh, principles as to when the next level up should get involved? Oh, I think it's you always start from below. Mm -hmm. So, for example, let's say I I was married and had children. So there are certain things that I can do within my own family, organizing the way my family operates. All right, living my faith and my morals within my own family, uh, bringing up my children, right, uh, loving my spouse, um, having the means by which I could have shelter and food and resources should all be decided on the local level. However, if I live in an economic system which doesn't give me the ability to purchase a home, like communist countries, mm-hmm. Or I live in a society where there are no openings for jobs for me because I happen to be uneducated or I didn't have the ability to have an education, then then you need a, a higher, a more complex organization, the higher level to address those needs because I can't do it by myself. So that's where the state comes in to offer education and regulate the marketplace, allowing the marketplace freedom also to grow and develop. So it's always checks and balances. But when the state comes into my family and says, you can't teach that, or you have to teach this, that thing is a violation of subsidiarity in yeah. my mind. Right? And that's what's happening in some cases. Right? Yes. And, um, and, and so you talked, um, a lot about um, Pope Francis's excellent teachings on this. You talked a lot about Pope John Paul II's excellent teachings on this. You started off by talking about Pope Leo the Thirteenth and Rerum huh? Novarum, uh-huh. which is mm-hmm. uh, about the rights of the worker. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're in a uh, an area of the country where a lot of people own businesses or have mm-hmm. positions of authority in mm-hmm. companies. What are some of the responsibilities of employers? to their employees? The, the golden rule. The golden rule is never ask an employee to do something you would not do yourself. If you're not willing to do it yourself, there's your first red light to start with. Second is you have to, you have to balance the legitimate need for a company to prosper because profits are not evil. Yes. Profits are necessary for a business to grow, to have investment, and to attract uh, shareholders, if it's a publicly traded company, so that it can continue to have the resources to care for the very employees that it has. But having said that, nothing is absolute. So therefore, if profits are being garnered at the expense of what would have then been a legitimate distribution to an employee in the terms of wages or benefits, then you are violating Catholic social teaching. Right. Right? Yes. And unfortunately, we have incidences of that in very large companies in the United States that are growing very quickly, whose founders and are, are growing extraordinarily wealthy, and whose workers are not necessarily being treated as the way they would want themselves to be treated. So we have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I guess also that would also mean um, allowing for a work-life balance to an extent, right, Excellency? Right. Absolutely. And, and see, there's another fundamental issue here. 
And the fundamental issue is the, the, the principles that the church articulates coming from the teaching of the Lord himself cannot be effectively lived in unisons without the conversion of the heart. You cannot always appeal to the higher entity to regulate what it sees as injustices because if the heart is set on being unjust, it will find a way to be unjust. Mm, wow, yeah. Yes. Okay. So the state, for example, needs to regulate, but you have to have a conversion of heart so that the person who has the decision-making need not have somebody look over his or her sh shoulder all the time because if they do want to machinate, they will. That has got to stop. And the church has to articulate such a compelling image of what I just described that even people who are not Christian would say, you know what, this may be the way mm -hmm. where I could both prosper and keep the peace and also allow other people to share in prosperity. Yeah. Win, win, win. Yes. Right? Yes. But to think the state's going to regulate every aspect is just, it's naive. It's naive. I've heard enough confessions in my life to tell you it's naive. <laughs> right? And, right. And so, and exactly because these uh, principles are just principles. They're not, they're not, the church doesn't dictate the practical application of them. It just says no. abide by these no. guidelines. Right. Yet what it really says is, this is what the Lord has taught. We have to apply them, and this is how you apply them, right? And you have the gift of baptism. You have the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you have the gift of each other. Go figure out how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> right? Subsidiarity. But, exactly. Even God does it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, but the takeaway from our conversation today is, if Christians began to engage this conversation authentically, honestly, humbly, there will be an avalanche of young adults whose attention will be, will be gained, who will take maybe a tippy-toe towards the church because that's precisely, they are looking for anyone or anything to do this. Now, with all due respect, I don't need the government to do it. I don't need Wall Street to do it. I don't need the United Nations to do it because Jesus Christ has taught us how to do it. So why do you go to all of those when it's the church? And I mean individuals in the church should be leading this conversation. And as the chair of CRS, for all of the misinformation that's out there, we should be proud of what CRS does in all the places on earth where it does it because it's all about dignity, solidarity, and subsidiarity. But even in our own country, we will have armies of young people say, you know, you people, if you're actually living what you're saying and this is what you're saying, yeah, 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 I could buy this. Yeah, there's something there. Amen. Okay. So, this is Let Me Be Oof, Frank. I'm all worked up, Steve. I'm all worked up. I have to cool down now. <laughs> well, good thing we're going into a break. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We will be right back. Want to make a difference at work? 
Veritas Catholic Network is looking to hire a full-time development director. If you're organized and you have sales or fundraising experience, if you love the faith and feel called to evangelization, if you're looking for something more meaningful, email info at veritascatholic.com. We're hiring, and you can help take Veritas to the next level as we grow and continue to reach more and more souls with the incredible saving words of Jesus Christ. Email us about the development director position. It's info at veritascatholic.com. That is info at veritascatholic.com if you're interested in joining the Veritas team. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here is this week's listener question. Bishop Frank, it is so wonderful to hear from you each week and to get to see your personality. How do you spend your downtime and relax? Well, you know, it's a very interesting question because many times I find it difficult to relax, truth be told, because I run really a very busy life. So it's, you, you, have you ever gone on vacation, Steve, after you run, 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 and then you feel lousy? <laughs> it's like you unwind and it's like you feel like a truck hit you. Uh-huh. So, so, so the, the, the completely honest, transparent answer to that question is twofold. Many times I find it an effort to try to wind down, but I do it principally by my time with my family because there is, well, because I love my family very much. They're my, my principal support personally, but also with the little ones in the family now, it just, if, if there's an interaction that allows me to set aside all the worries and anxieties and everything that has to deal with, you know, my office and all that, it's when you sit down and do homework with like little Gina or we're playing, you know, soccer, me of all people, soccer in the driveway with little Caesar, you know, my great, my grandniece and grandnephew. Yeah. Or spending time with my niece and nephew. That's where, that's how I relax. That's where I re- revisit my roots. Beautiful. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank is on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And as always, we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. It is a f- grant from the Ter- St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, before you go, would you please give us your blessing? I would be happy to. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Spirit upon us as we continue our work this day, that all that we do and say may give you honor and glory love our neighbor effectively, and bring us closer to the gift of salvation. For we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, enjoy. I will see you next week, my Thanks, friend. Thanks, Excellency. You enjoy too. Okay. Get some, get some Thank relaxation. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. <laughs>